You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. that God would send godly leaders that our leaders that are in place would get saved 
as we seek the Lord in prayer. So now with that being said, would you please, let's all together in agreement, together as we go and pray. Pray for those who have lost homes. Pray for those who are discouraged, those who are depressed, those who need the glorious light of the gospel to shine in their hearts. And for pastors to continue to open up their churches, not in defiance. It's not in defiance, folks. Don't ever let somebody say churches are open in defiance. It's out of obedience. We as Christians are not in defiance. We're in obedience to the higher power, and that is God, and always will be. And one day, if they have the cars taking us to jail, then we go. If that's what it's going to come to, because we will obey God. We're to put Him first. Who knew we were going to be that generation? But we're that generation. We're the generation that gets to stand. We don't think we're better than anybody. We don't look down on anybody who's not, but we will encourage those who will. So the best thing we can do right now is go to the Lord who hears us. Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. This is our time of need and we need help. Let's go to God. Gracious Heavenly Father, the creator of all living things, word says, behold, the government is upon his shoulders. Father, the government is on your son, Jesus' shoulders. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he moves it about wherever he directs. So, Father, we know that you ordain governments. We know you ordain leaders, and we know that you raise them up and you put them down. And so, Father, we pray for the leaders that right now feel like it's okay to shut down churches, to discourage pastors and church members from uh, worshiping out of obedience to you and to those that are trying to issue fines. And so, Father, I pray for great courage for every child of God. I pray that they would see this moment as a divine moment to stand up for what we say is so dear and so important to us. Lord, I pray that just like our forefathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, they said that we pledge our lives and our sacred honor. Father, I pray as Christians that we would say, Lord, we pledged our lives to you. We put it all on the line. And so, Father, we are grateful that we get to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are grateful that we get to open the word and learn about you. Father, we are humble in that we know we need to hear from you. We do not have the answers. Holy Spirit, would you meet with us? Father, would you do a great work in this room? May those who are in need of encouragement find encouragement. May each one of us find through your word the conviction of the Holy Spirit to change what is not right and to get it right. Father, would you stir up and raise up a generation that will follow you? I pray for boldness and courage in this day and age. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your son to die on the cross my sin. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Please take your Bible to the book of Acts chapter number 11. We continue our series through the book of Acts. It's been a powerful book as we study it, and there is a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Acts. The reoccurring theme throughout the book of Acts is as people receive more of the word of God, they became more of a witness. As we receive more of God's word, we become a greater witness. What do you mean? A witness to what? To the things which we have seen and heard. 
the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of all mankind, the only hope, the hope for sinners, the hope that this world needs, the hope that you can't find packaged in a pill, the hope that you can't find at the end of a syringe, the hope that you can't find in a new relationship, the hope that you can't find in a new sports car, the hope that you can't find in a nice new pair of shoes, the hope that you can't find in winning the lottery, the hope that you can only be found in Jesus Christ. That's what Acts is all about. And that's why Acts is such a pivotal book. And it's one that we should build our church off of. We should be looking at what the first church did, what the early church did, and pattern our lives after it. And this is a seminal chapter. It seems like every chapter just gets better than the next. And we come to chapter number 11. And as we study chapter number 11, you're going to notice several things about it. But before we get there, I don't know if your family similar to my family in the fact that there's always a uh, section of the couch that everybody wants to sit in. There's always the favorite chair at the dinner table. There's always a special seat in the car that all the kids fight over. And I don't know if that's normal in your household, but it certainly is in my household. It just seems like everybody fights over the same chair, okay? And uh, normally uh, what happens is uh, it'll be some chair, and what will end up happening is before the kids even get into the car, say they want the seat in the car, they'll say, oh, I called the front seat. Now, the front seat isn't the front seat. It's the first seat that they can sit in. They, and then they'll call it, you know? Or they'll say, oh, I called the, the end of the couch, I called the remote. Oh, I called mom and dad's seat. Oh, I called the last ice cream. Did your family ever do that? Am I, am I the only odd family that calls it? Yeah, our family, they call it. But then I've always told you that my son Austin is really quick with things, right? Really quick. So one day his uh, older sister, Megan, had beat him to the chair that he had called, okay? Or actually it was reverse. That Austin had beat Megan to the chair Megan had called. And then my son said something profound. He said, you may called it, but I claimed it. I was like, oh. And you take a little pen, a little notebook. You got two more points of the scripture. We got a message with that. It was like, how true is that? I think that's powerful because I think there's something that Satan is totally fine with believers calling all the promises of God. I think we, we call on all these promises, we, we call on all these verses, but until you lay claim to them, they're useless to you. You see, it's one thing to call it, it's another thing to claim it. And you see, in, in the early church, the church of Jerusalem, they, they didn't quite fully get this, but they should have looked back at the book of Exodus because that's where you see that God had called the children of Israel to a land, but they still had to drive out the inheritance of the, the, the inhabitants of that land so that they could have it as an inheritance. It's one thing to call it. It's another thing to claim it. You see, in this season, I don't want you just to be claiming things. I, I don't want you just to be calling things. I want you to be claiming things. Lay hold on some things. Stake your claim in scriptures. Stake your claim on some things because this is an hour where literally I have friends that are losing their homes. You have people that they're being uh, barred or intimidated from going to church. You can march into Portland and burn down buildings. You will not get a $5,000 fine. But stepping through the doors of that church, uh, that church, this church building, you need to give yourself a pat on the back because you guys did something that was so brave and I'm so inspired inspired by your faith and how God is using you to stand for truth. It's so important. And guess what? Our neighbors in our city needs to see that there are people that, no, 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 we will not sit by. We will not sit by. We will obey God. We will follow him. We will worship. 
We will continue to serve God, and he will continue to get the glory. We will not give in. We will not give in. And so as you see, there is a generation, and I think today in this word of faith generation that we live in, where people just naming things, just, oh, I name a new car, or I name a spouse, or I just uh, say it till you see it kind of thing. But yet we're never, we're never claiming things. We're calling things, but we're not claiming them. And the church of Jerusalem was supposed to not just call out to win the lost. They were supposed to go claim that. They were supposed to go, Acts 1, verse 8, to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. And our church is turning a corner here. We're learning to go, not just sit and stay. We're learning how to take the Bible and share it with those who need to know about Jesus Christ. You see, it's one thing to just be able to call out the promises of God. That's good. But you need to claim them, and you need to claim ground for the kingdom. And so that's what's going to happen. But it's going to take something in this day and age that you and I live in. It's going to take something. You ever heard this word? Guts. It's going to take some guts today. It's going to take some guts to bring a Bible to church now. It's going to take some guts to bring a Bible to work. It's going to take some guts to live by it. It's going to take some guts to stand up and say, yeah, I serve Jesus Christ. Yes, I love him. Yes, I will follow him. And if need be, I will give my life for him. It's going to take guts. We're, we're coming up in a generation where it's going to take guts. And the title of this message is Guts and the Gospel. We in our nation's history have plenty of great characters you can look back on and you can find people that had guts. Nathan Hale was America's first known spy. He was to spy out secrets for the Revolutionary Army and he crossed over to British lines in New York and he was pretending to be a school teacher and he was caught, arrested and sentenced to hang. And Nathan Hale is quoted with saying, uh, credited with saying this simple phrase and it's, it's gone down, it's profound, it's encouraging, it's insightful. He said this, when they asked him any last words, he said, yes, I have one regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Takes guts. They said of General Patton that they called him Old Blood and Guts. That was his nickname. You know, we used to have Christians that have guts to stand up, to let people know that they're a Christian, they're not ashamed to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. They weren't ashamed that when somebody else was doing something they didn't feel like was right, it wasn't to call them out or to shame them, but to show them, wait, there's a better way, my friend. We used to be Christians that we didn't have a problem witnessing, but nowadays it seems like Christians more and more are a little bit timid, a little bit nervous to stand up for Jesus. Even some of you, I might add, are a little bit nervous at times. And I'm glad you're here. I want to commend you. I don't want to uh, shame you, but I want to say it's time that we as a church have some guts. We're in a season and a generation where it takes some Christians with some guts. And I know when it comes to talking about guts, we say, what do you mean? You know, I just kind of feel it in your gut kind of that gut instinct. We used to say, or not we, in the Bible times, you just used to say, uh, not from I love you with all my heart, you would say I love you with all my bowels. Nowadays, you're like, bowels and bowel movements and love just doesn't seem like it all kind of belongs together. But what did they talk about? I love you from my gut, from here, from the center of my being, I love you is what they were saying. And so we, from the center of our being, need that courage, those, those, those guts, to say, you know, I can take a stand. I can do what's right. And I want to encourage you because this week I got this letter right here uh, from a, uh, some Christians in Texas that heard about our church. Let me read it for you. It said, 
Dear Pastor Ermler, thank you for taking your stand for religious freedom. Thank you for not bowing when so many others have. The Lord bless you and your church. We stand with you. Prayer group from Texas, Robert and Mary. You don't know who you're impacting and who you're inspiring by the fact you stepped in those doors, but you are. All the way from across the country in Texas, there are people, I've never met them, that are writing letters trying to tell you, church, you, my friend, to have some guts and gospel and to stand for Jesus Christ. And don't just call it, but lay claim to these things. You say, what things? You have your Bible, the book of Acts. Let's notice, beginning in verse number 19, Acts chapter number 11. Here's what the word of God says. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them. If you have a highlighter or a pencil, please, or a pen, please underline the word them. I'm going to reference it several times. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them, all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considered numbers were brought to, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, the, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This passage is prefaced with sadness and tragedy, but it's going to end in gladness. It's going to end in a positive way. You see, this is a seminal moment because unless you are a Messianic Jew, you do not trace your church heritage to the church of Jerusalem unless you're a Messianic Jew. If you're a Gentile, it means anything other than Jewish. Anybody Jewish here? I'm just curious. Anybody? Nobody that I know of. Okay, so since we're all Gentile, we trace our heritage, church heritage, not to the church at Jerusalem. We trace our church heritage to the church at Antioch, to this church. This is going to be the church that's going to mentor and train the apostle Paul. Right now he's called Saul. This is going to be the church for which Paul and Barnabas are going to launch their missionary journeys. And Paul's going to go on three missionary journeys. And his home-based church, his home church is this church at Antioch. This little church. The church that was started in verse number 19 tells us how it was started because of persecution. God always uses persecution in our life. He never wastes a trial. And so these Christians, they're persecuted. And here's why. They were expelled out of Jerusalem. I'm going to give you a quick little outline of these few verses. First of all, they were expelled out of Jerusalem. Why? Because they preach Jesus Christ, the resurrection. So they're expelled out. But what do they do? They don't just flee and hide under a rock and shelter in place and cower and just pretend to and, and hide their light, hide their witness. No, that's not at all what these Christians do. They expand the kingdom of God. 
In verse number 20, it says, and they went everywhere preaching about Jesus Christ. So you see they're expelled out of Jerusalem, and then you see an expansion of God's kingdom. You see, wherever there is an expulsion, there should always be expansion. Wherever you say, you know what, I don't know why God took me out of this situation, because God wants to do something greater in this next situation. We always interpret that God wants to do something greater as in more money, better position, better benefits. How about it's that God gets more glory in that situation? You say, but I'm not making as much. It's not as good. No, no, no. God just wants more glory. It's not always about your good. It's always about God's glory. Always. Whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. Everything exists. We exist for the glory of God. That's why we exist. But today, too often, we mistake what our purpose is. We think, God's got something better for me, and I, I lost that job, so guess what? God's going to give me a better job. I hope it's better. I do. It may not always be. Uh, I hope you get in a relationship. This relationship is better than the last one. That's great. I hope you get into a good, I, I'm not wishing ill upon you, but I'm just saying it sometimes doesn't always work out like that. This car will be better than the last car. This church will be better than the last church. This place will be better than that place. This house and that, and we could just do this all day long. But understand, at the basis, Christians are to bring glory to God, guts and gospel, so we see that they're expelled, they're expanding the kingdom. And may I add that only excuses keep us from expanding. It's only our excuses. Oh, I don't know what to say, pastor, to witness to somebody. I love what Acts 4, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. It wasn't the Romans road, it wasn't the five plans of salvation, it wasn't the ABCs of salvation. It was just, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. We can all tell a lost friend or neighbor, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you, some of you are giving marvelous testimony about how your marriage has been saved, how your job has been saved, how God brought things together that only he could brought together, how God has helped you with your children, how God has helped you in situations. So let's not give in to any excuses. But then I love verse 23 because then comes Barnabas. Barnabas is called the son of consolation. Many of us, I think, are familiar with the term consolation because it means comfort. He's the son of encouragement. They said, this man, he's so encouraging. Don't you just love being around encouraging people? Don't you just love it when they take you out to eat and they pay? It's such a blessing. You're like, I just love being around you. Don't you just love being around Oscar and Faith? They're just such encouragement. Like, even, even though they're wearing a mask, you know they're smiling from ear to ear underneath that mask. Like, I like wearing a mask. Yeah, let's stop and give them an applause for sure. Because when you wear a mask, you don't have to smile for nothing. You can take pictures. You don't have to smile. Nobody can see your face. But nowadays, some of you are getting sneaky. Some of your masks, you have the clear thing. So now we can see what's really going on. And some of you lips some words which we will not name under your breath. No, but we love to be around encouraging people. So we see that the church, they were expelled out of Jerusalem. They were expanded the church. But then we see that Barnabas came along and encouraged new believers. Hey, that should be our goal. If you meet a new Christian here at Southridge, even if you do not know their name, go encourage them. Say, hello, my name is Makai. What's your name? Hey, I'm so excited you took that step of faith in baptism. Hey, I'm here for you. You ever have questions about God's word? You ever want to grab a cup of coffee if I can ever buy you lunch? Man, I would love to spend time with you because we're brothers in Christ. Uh, we are uh, in the family of God. And so as family, guess what? I want to be kind to you. I want to encourage you because many of us need that encouragement, don't, don't we? I don't think there's one person here that'd be like, no, 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 I got my fair share. Please don't encourage me. No, no. If you are alive and you have breath in your lungs, you could use some encouragement. 
I am reading statistics about how much the antidepressants are on the rise. The numbers just keep going up because why? People need encouragement. So we see that the church was expelled, expanded, encouraged. But then we see verse 25. Barnabas says, this ministry is growing. The church in Antioch is exploding. He needs to go get help. So he enlists somebody, an unlikely character. A character that when he tried to join the church of Jerusalem, they mistrusted him. But Barnabas said, that guy is a blue chip. That guy's worth something. There's, that's a diamond in the rough. So Barnabas is going to go this long journey all the way to Tarsus, which was a dangerous journey. But Barnabas went because he said, hey, there's a guy there. His name is Saul. Saul had great passion for God. It's been several years. Some estimate that it's been almost 10 years. Where's Saul? Where is he? Not around. But Barnabas says, I remember that guy. Let me take a journey. Let me go get him because there's a ministry that's growing. He's the guy for the journey. He's the guy for the job. So let me go to Tarsus and get him. So he enlists Paul. And I love what happens when you recruit people. I love our children's pastor. She's recruiting some of you. And some of you need to say yes to rich kids and yes to being a part of it and yes to getting involved. I'm so grateful for our rich kids team. Some of you are like, well, when can we expand it? When more of us say yes to answer the call to being rich kids. Right now it's zero to four, but the more workers we get, then they will be able to expand. I got a text message right before service from a family that newly started coming. Their grandson, they always bring him. And they said they were gone on vacation. And the grandson texts the grandparents said, I'm really mad that you guys are gone because I can't go to church. Can't see my teachers. Wow, isn't that awesome? Just, just a, a little child. I'm telling you, you grandparents and parents are doing a wonderful job raising your children. So we see that the early church, they were encouraging, they enlisted, but then they were equipping. Verse 26, we see that the ministry began to expand, it began to grow, and it said, and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were equipping. You know, every Christian should be equipped with the right tools, how to defend their faith, how to share their faith, and how to stand for their faith. You should know what you believe and why you believe it. This is why we're just diving through God's word. We're just taking it apart. We're just looking at it. Because I want to give you guys not just tips and tricks, but I want to give you practical tools in your tool belt so you can build a household of faith, so you can build a house that doesn't blow over, a house that doesn't just get knocked down by any storm because the storms are coming. Some of the storms are already here. And so we need to have a foundation that's built on the word of God to withstand any storm. But I want to go back to, I had you underline, I had you circle some things. That was just by way of just giving you a way to look at these couple of verses so you can do some more study on your own. Because the church they equipped, right, and that's, that's Ephesians 4. Each one of us are equipped to do the work of the ministry. It's not just anybody who's hired. It's all of us have shared part so why the ministry can expand. We do more together when we work together. And we're all on the same side. We may look different, but yet we share a common goal. That's the transformation of our communities. And that's what we're all a part of. And so you see the apostle Paul, and you see this man by the name of Barnabas, and you see this, this church in Antioch. But I go back to this. Here's this great church that's growing, experiencing the Holy Spirit moving, experiencing great things. But who started it? Anybody know their name? They should be speaking at the latest and greatest conference, right? They should have a podcast out or something, right? They should be writing life group curriculums. They should be on the, uh, the, the, the conference circuit. And they should be the guest speakers. Who, who's, who, who's, who's responsible for this great church at Antioch? They are. 
No, 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 pass, pass, pass. There's got to be somebody. There's got to be, there's always got to be the celebrity preacher because nowadays you kind of need a celebrity who just knows how to teach just right, wears the right style of jeans, his hair is coiffed in just the right way, you know, knows how to, uh, uh, you know, persuasively talk about things, has just the exact right team, a worship team, you know, has, has just the, the exact perfect logo, you know, has the perfect mission statement, the ideal building with really good AC, you know, that's what you're looking for. Not, 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 not a they, I need a, a, a who, I need, I need a name, but there is no name. You say, no, 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 the, who did this great work? Who started this? Nobody knows. No, truly, no, nobody knows. You could go do your own Bible study. Nobody actually knows who started the church of Antioch. It was they. They did. They did. I love this. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. They were unknown. It's unknown, lost to history. Who started arguably the greatest church outside the church of Jerusalem is the church at Antioch. The reason we have parts of scripture is because the church at Antioch was approving what scripture pastor would actually go into our Bible. This is a great church. This is a mission-sending church. This is a church that as soon as it gets established at the end of the chapter, they're going to send an offering back to the church of Jerusalem. They're going to fund. That's going to, there's going to be a famine, and they're going to help fund relief efforts. This is a great church, an influential church that God is going to use in powerful ways. And we don't know who the founding pastor was. We don't know who the core group was. We don't know who the first uh, ministry leaders were. It was they. They're unknown. Harry S. Truman said, it's amazing what we could accomplish if we didn't care who got the credit. But you know what's happened today in our church culture? We want to know who did that. We want the applause. Now, our church, we try to do a good job at rendering honor to whom honor is due. But I think sometimes Satan can use that, can't he, as pride. Oh, I want to make sure my name's on that. I want to make sure you know that I did that. What you're seeing there, that was me. I thank God for the people in our church that you don't know that they do so much. They support so much of the work of the ministry that they are just those silent warriors pushing on. You see, the church needs people that say, hey, guess what? I can be a them. I, I, you don't know who I am. I'm just a them. I, just, I was just persecuting. Life just happened. It wasn't like they said, hey, you know what? Let's get a, let's get a think tank together and let's uh, survey the city of Jerusalem, and let's see what kind of church Jerusalem wants or Antioch wants, and let's plant this amazing church in the city of Antioch. No. They were under persecution because of the death of Stephen, so that as they were running for their lives, they took Jesus with them everywhere they went, and they preached. And at first, they only preached to Jews, and then they were like, you know what? This doesn't seem right. Because in Acts 1.8, we were supposed to take the gospel everywhere to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. Well, we're not in Jerusalem anymore, so I guess we can move on to the Gentiles. So this is the first time you see the, these unknowns preaching to the Gentiles. Last week we saw Peter doing it, but now you see these unknowns. They're preaching to the Gentiles. They're taking Jesus with them, and they're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nobody knows who they are. And it was simply that life happened. Life is happening to each and every one of us. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us are in uh, relationship upheaval. Some of us are in a situation where we're discouraged. We don't know what's happening. And life is just happening around us. And we don't know what to do. And understand this, that these, them who just left Jerusalem, life just happened. They weren't like, oh, let's, let's move to Antioch. That just seems like a great place to go to. Let's just go. I mean, sounds, sounds great. 
It's like the new Austin, you know? It's like Texas, Austin, booming. It's the new Phoenix, the new Idaho. Let's just go. No, no, no. It was life happened and life took them there. Where's life taking you? And who are you taking with you wherever you go? You say, Pastor, I haven't lost a job. My marriage is fine. My kids are great. Excellent. When the car broke down, you had to take an Uber. Did you talk to the Uber driver? He said, what do you mean? Well, life took you somewhere. It took you across somebody's path you normally wouldn't have seen and may never see again. So what did you say to the Uber driver? He said, Pastor, that's a little bit, I, I don't know. No, no, what did you say to the Uber driver? My wife and I, two weeks ago, we got on a plane and at four o'clock in the morning, I can't believe we took an Uber driver at four o'clock in the morning, but we got and took an Uber driver and the whole time I didn't know what he was saying because I was half asleep. My wife told me afterwards, she said, I had no clue what he was saying, but the one thing she did, she kept elbowing me and handed me an invitation and said, tell him about Jesus, tell him about Jesus. I said, you tell him about Jesus. I'm trying to sleep. She said, I'm already asleep. Here you go. And it was my responsibility to tell him about Jesus because why? I don't know the next time I'll come across that person's path. Because life has a way of redirecting you. And right now, life is always redirecting. Hey, you may have a thing where you have to go get uh, your hair cut by somebody else, and that could be the opportunity right there. It could be you have to go to a different grocery store. It could be that you have to now go get your hair done, your nails done somewhere else. And wherever it may be, life is taking you somewhere. So are you taking Jesus there with you? Because look what God does with them. He does great things. You see, and I love this. They didn't see the Gentiles as enemies, but as opportunities. Isn't it easy to see people we don't like and we don't agree with as the enemy? And today you're seeing that all across the country. You're seeing people just kind of divide up. The masked and the unmasked. It's like, for real? Are, are we just going to just split it? No, no, God is trying to actually say, no, 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 that's not what I want. I don't want division. I want you as Christians, people that love Jesus, to see people as the opportunity, not the opposition. For you to say, you know what, there's a great opportunity here to tell people about Jesus. So first of all, they're unknown, but then they're unnamed. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears at Jerusalem. I love what Winston Churchill once said. He says, never has so much been owed to so few. You know, this church at Antioch and our church owes so much to them, and we didn't even know it. You don't even know who them is. We're going to meet them one day, but we owe them. We have a debt to them because they took the gospel to somewhere else as life was happening. And you see, they went everywhere preaching. They were unknown. They were unnamed. And here they went to Antioch. You know, here's what's amazing. It's because of what they did in Antioch that the church began to grow and then in verse, you saw there verse 22, and the news reached Jerusalem because of what God was doing, it reached Jerusalem. So Jerusalem said, we gotta send somebody down. We gotta find out what is happening. So let's go send Barnabas. So they send Barnabas down there. And when they go send Barnabas, Barnabas finds out, he encourages them. And he says, this is a great thing that is happening and it's growing beyond what I can do. So let me go find help. Let me go get this man by the name of Saul, who Saul basically is given up, dejected because nobody accepted him because acceptance is the optimum environment for change. Always remember that. Acceptance is the optimum environment for change. And so he said, I can go and encourage them and I can lift him up and let him know, hey, I need you, Paul. Never underestimate the power of your applause that I can have with your children, your coworkers, and your friends. And so Barnabas goes and gets Saul, brings him back, and then the ministry grows even further. But then this church 
them, they didn't know that Paul or Saul is going to become Paul, is going to write 13 books of our New Testament, is going to take the gospel of the entire known world, is going to have three missionary journeys, is going to be based out of this church. They had no idea who this guy was, who this assistant to Barnabas was. They didn't know. They didn't know that Saul was in their midst. They didn't know what great man was there. I wrote this down. Without them, you don't have him. Let me say it again. Without them, you don't have him. Do you get it? We would never have had Paul without these unnamed unknowns. You don't get him without them. It was because of them, because they said, hey, we're going to just take Jesus with us. Everywhere we go, I'm just going to take Jesus with us. You know, next week, I want you to come back. I've got some video testimonials. I'm going to tell you about a, a new course we're going to be launching about teaching you how to evangelize, how to share your faith. I want you to be back next week, uh, same time, 5 o'clock, because I believe it's so important that we know how to share Jesus with those around us. And I want to be able to teach each and every one. There will be a three-week class, and we're going to break it down. How do we share our faith? How do we actually do this? Because I know many of you really want to share your faith, and you want to be a them who can reach a him. And it's because of what they did. You see, news about them reached Jerusalem, and Barnabas comes, and Barnabas says, we need somebody else. We'll go get Paul. But then understand this. You don't have to be him to be a them. Somebody say, I'm not a Paul. I'm not that great. I know. You don't have to be. In this church, you don't have to be somebody great to reach other people. You don't have to have the title pastor in front of your name. You don't have to be ordained. You don't have to be licensed. You don't have to do any of that to simply say, you know what, I can go reach people. Some of the best people I know at reaching people are just everyday Christians. Just saying, hey, where I'm at, I'm at the DMV. That means I have about three days to talk to this person. <laughs> yeah. Hope you pack a lunch, man. We're going to be here a while. It's not even a line, and we're still waiting. It's not even anybody else here, we're still waiting. You know, it, it's just wherever life takes us, can we be a witness for Jesus? And I know, church, you may get sick and tired of it, but guess what? This world is sick and tired, and they need Jesus. So until we are at the most where we've reached everybody and we've done everything we can, until they've totally barred the doors and put us all in jail, we must be about preaching the gospel. Today I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and Apostle Paul says, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He said, Woe am I. This is what I have to do. I've got to preach about Jesus. I've got to tell others. And so you don't have to be him to tell them. I love what 1 Corinthians says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. And the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. I love it. We've seen that there's the unknown, the unnamed, but I want you to see, go back to verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. You say, how was this church used? Because this church was unknown, it was unnamed, but they were unstoppable. Why? How was it that this church is unstoppable? Because exactly the verse I just read, and the hand of the Lord was with them. When's the last time that was said about your life? Not, oh man, they're so friendly. You know what? I think God's hand's all over that person. 
When's the last somebody looked at you and said, man, it's not just that they have a great marriage. There's something that person just has God all over them. It's not just that that person can lead worship. It's that the hand of God is on that worship leader. It's not just that they can run a life group. It's that the hand of God is on that life group. Today we measure all the wrong things in the church, don't we? We want to measure, well, how big is it? How, how awesome was it? How great was the speaker? Well, instead we need to look at, wait a minute, was the hand of God there? Is the hand of God evident? Because if not, then what's the point? Because we need God's hand is what we need. We're not just here to, for just, a, just a nice platitudes. You know, we in this generation, this day and age, we need the hand of God moving in our midst. That's the hope of our nation. It's, it's not marching in the streets, and I know we want to march in the streets. It's not getting out to the polls, and I know we want to get out to the polls. You ought to get to the polls. But the greatest thing you and I can do is pray that the hand of God will sweep across our nation. That the hand of God would move. That's what we need. That's what set the church at Antioch apart is they looked at them and they said, who are them? They said, I don't know, but they got the hand of God. What more do you need to know? What if your boss asks you for your reference and all you put, I got the hand of God. It's expensive. I'm not going to drop it. Sorry. I did that once before. I got in trouble. But this church was unstoppable because when it came to it, many people can be turned to a personality without the hand of God. There's, there's people out there that you got enough personality, you can draw a crowd. But you don't have to have the hand of God. There's people out there, you can do a lot of great things without the hand of God. But what we need is parents with the hand of God to parent their children. What we need is worship leaders with the hand of God to lead worship. What we need is life group leaders with the hand of God to lead their life groups. What we need in our church is leaders with the hand of God to lead our church. What we need is children's ministry workers. And yes, anyone that you're, you're just on schedule once or twice a month, yes, you need the hand of God. I need the hand of God to raise my three children. I need the hand of God to lead this church. I need the hand of God for each and every single day. It's so needed in this hour, but yet today more than ever, we want to talk about everything but the hand of God. I listen to churches and they talk about what to do and how to drive up engagement and how to have a better experience and how to attract more people. And I'm just thinking, really, do we need to go through all that or can't we just ask for the hand of God to move? Why do we got to add all this fluff? Why do we got to add all these things? Doesn't God just want to save lost people? Because my Bible tells me that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. So if that's God's will, let me pray God's will and let me get involved in that will and let God's hand move across our country. So what are we doing? Why don't we in step with that? We say, God, I want to be unstoppable. You see, I believe this and it's sad. I believe many of us would be surprised if the hand of God actually moved. I think it would shock you if this auditorium was filled next week with no seating available. I think that would shock us. Because we don't expect God to move, actually. You don't. You didn't come in here thinking, man, this is going to be full this week. You know what? I'm going to stand just because I want to save a seat for somebody. We don't expect God to move. What does that say about God? You know, I went and bought something at the grocery store and I pulled out my debit card and I put my debit card in there. And guess what? I didn't even hesitate for a second that it was going to come up declined. I, I didn't even, I, I was like, of course it's going to be accepted. It's Pastor Mrs. credit card. It's not mine. <laughs> of course it's going to be accepted. I'll spend that all day long. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not. It's mine. 
No, no, I think we would be, uh, I think we would be shocked if God actually showed up. Why are we surprised that God would move and that God would work? Why are you surprised that God would save your boss? Why are you surprised that God would work in your life? Why would God, you be surprised that your children would go on to do great things? Why are we surprised by this? I think it's because we actually don't really care if it happened or didn't happen. I think that's really what it is. Your life is actually probably fine without God moving or not. I'll just, I'll just say it. Yeah, you got your car, you got your job. You're good. You honestly don't need God. You probably don't need church. So guess what? This isn't essential to you, so you can leave. We're not, we're not hungry for God. What are we doing? What are we doing? Are we playing games? Or we really want God? Do we really want to see him move? Are we ready to just play little dumb political games and argue about which candidate and argue about little science and little, little things and get, get caught up in petty little things? Are we really about God? I just want you just, just give me Jesus and, and nothing else because I just have to have Jesus in this moment because if I don't have Jesus right now, I don't have anything because Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is everything to me. And Jesus is what I must have today and I must have him tomorrow and I can't make it. My marriage won't survive if I don't have Jesus. If we just had God-hungry people, but instead we're so filled with flesh, we're so filled with the world, we're so filled with everything else, we're not hungry for God. We've filled our lives full of sin that we just don't have an appetite for things of righteousness. And we won't go around places that talk about living a righteous life because we don't want that. You want somebody to get up and tell you, Jesus loves you. We know you're a wicked heathen who just wants to party and sin and sleep around. But guess what? Come to Jesus and act like a Christian for an hour and just go back to your heathen ways, and I'll see you next Sunday. Please put $20 on the way out so we can keep the lights on. At least you could do that, you heathen. We know you spend more than that on your other stuff. We don't want Jesus. Who are we fooling? Church, hear me out, hear me out. I love you, I do, I do. You don't have to pretend to me don't do this for me because I really can't see your heart. I can look at your actions and make some decisions. But God sees the heart, 1 Samuel 16. Don't look at his heart, look at his heart. And God sees our heart and he knows why we do what we do. He knows if it's real, if it's fake. He knows if you're giving because you genuinely say, you know what, I love Jesus, I want to give back to him. He knows if you're witnessing because you genuinely love him. So we need to say, God, I want to fall in love with you because that's what our world needs to see people that are like, whoa, you actually expect God to move. You actually expect things to change. You actually expect there to be another great revival. You expect the Silicon Valley where less than 3% go to any religion, less than 3%, 8.2 million people know anything about Jesus, 3% of that, and you really expect that, that Jesus can change this area? Yes, it's why I'm here. It's why I've invested the last 15 years of my life here because I believe that God wants to do something in the Bay Area and I'm gonna spend my life preaching so that we reach those 8.2 million people. And once we get done with that, let's pick another city. Let's pick another state and let's do it again. And let's do some more because we're not finished here. Because we've gotta be a generation that said we expect God to move. 
You've heard the illustration about the little farming community that experienced the drought, right? You heard about it? You heard it? It's an oldie but a goodie. There was a little farming community. They had had a severe drought, and they are going to lose all the crops. And the pastor said, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's get all the farmers together. Let's go to the church. Come on. Everybody go to the white clapboard church with a little steeple and a little bell. And let's all crowd in. There's no Sunday school room, just the vestibule, and then the auditorium. And they had the red old rickety pews. Everybody got in there. Everybody's going to have a prayer meeting, praying for rain. And, man, the pastor got up, and he saw a bunch of people ready to pray. And on the front row, he saw a little girl with an umbrella and said that's what God's looking for where's the little girl with the umbrella where's the child of God who says I believe that God's going to work so guess what yeah I'm going to sit in the balcony next week because I think God just might show up you know what hey I'm going to wait up for my child till they get home because I guess what they're going to get off drugs they're going to get off the streets they're going to start living right because I know my God is good enough I know he's strong enough I know he can change my lost coworker. I know that God can show up you know what I'm going to go home and I'm going to apologize to my spouse and I'm going to make things right because I know God's going to show up in that situation I know tomorrow I'm going to go to work and tell them I went to church and I met with God and they may have a shocking look on their face and you know what and he'll meet with you too he would love to meet with you come to church with me it'll change your life and it'll change your eternity because we need a church that has the hand of God when we as a church say you know what we want nothing more than God God shows up they that hunger and thirst after me shall be filled Oh, we forget the scriptures. Oh, we forget. We forget what the psalmist said. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, oh God. When's the last time you just said, God, I just need you. I'm broken and I'm discouraged and God, I'm so down and I'm so upset. I don't know what to do. So I have to cry out to you because there's nobody else to cry to. And all of a sudden in that moment, God meets you. You see, this church was unstoppable because they knew God was going to meet. But too often, church, we are surprised that God is working. And then would you write this last and final thing down? Don't get comfortable in a place you're not called to. Don't get comfortable in a place you're not called to. You say, what do you mean? It's them. Where where, Where are them from? Jerusalem. And God's like, don't get comfortable. I'm moving you. What about Barnabas? Where's Barnabas from? Jerusalem. Where is he going to move to? Antioch. What about Saul? Where's Saul from? Tarsus. Don't get comfortable in a place you're not called to. Some of you, God is shifting. He's moving some things. Because he says, you're comfortable in a place that I don't want you to be comfortable in. I'm moving some things. I'm doing a work. And I think too often in church, we just want to quickly get to comfort. We want this whole coronavirus thing. We want this election year to be over. We want it all to be over. Not because we're tired of the dumb memes. I get it. I get it. You and your memes. Like if 2020 was a year. Yes, we've seen them all. We don't want to see any more. We get it. You hate the year 2020. Okay. And then some of you are like, I'm not buying a planner for 2021 until I see the trailer of what 21 and 21 is going to look like. You know what? The cynicism just say, you know what? God has a different plan for all of us. He's redirecting all of our steps. For the last seven years, Jane and I have been on this journey of one location to the other. Is this our 12th location? Are we at 12? Yeah, we're at 12 locations. Seven years, 12 locations. My goodness. Bouncing around here and there. 
You read the book of Acts, children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, you kind of feel like it's our church. And you, sometimes you just be like, what is going on? Other times you're just like, you know what? We're going to reach the entire San Jose city because we're going to be in every neighborhood eventually. We're just, <laughs> eventually we'll get to your neighborhood. Coming to a neighborhood near you real soon. Just wait for it. Just wait for it. So don't be discouraged because God doesn't let us get comfortable. Today, my prayer for the church is two things, that we would have the guts in the gospel. But some of us, you say, Pastor, but I have a hard time obeying Jesus. And I heard Skip Heisick say this this week. He said, some of you have a hard time obeying Jesus Christ because you have a hard time taking orders from a stranger. Let me say it again. Some of you have a hard time taking orders from Jesus Christ because you have a hard time taking orders from a stranger. And when God calls you, you move. You say, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But we move on faith. God honors our faith. God's going to honor the faith of those that after the service are going to come forward. And they are going to publicly say, you know what? Yes, I'm a child of God. They don't have to to go to heaven. You, baptism does not guarantee salvation. That's not what baptism is. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. They just want to let you know that there's a difference in their life. They just want you to know, and guess what? Publicly, they want to be accountable to you to say, guess what? My life is different. I'm going to act different. I'm going to talk different. I'm going to walk different because I'm a child of God and they're going to get into the baptismal waters and they're going to emulate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, which every Christian who has received Jesus Christ in their heart should be obedient to the baptismal waters. And you say, hey, you know what? That is me. I'm going to invite you. You say, hey, you know what? I, I haven't been baptized, but I want to get baptized tonight. I don't want to wait on this thing. You can be Pastor Missile in the back. He's got a change of clothes for you and I'm going to pray in just a second. You can go meet him. He's got a t-shirt there for you and a bag for you to change into a towel. He's got everything. But if you're scheduled to get baptized tonight, I'm going to invite you also to slip out towards the back because you're going to get an opportunity to go change. And we'll invite you back in just a moment. But right now, the most important thing is that we spend time with God, that we pray. Because I believe that God has met with us. He's taught us some things from a few short verses. And I believe now it's time where we do business with God. And we don't need to be a church that rushes through a prayer time. In Acts chapter number five, that to the church it has two wings that keep it flying, like an airplane. Prayer and the ministry of the word. There's two wings on this airplane that keep this thing going. It's prayer and the word of God. So right now we're gonna spend some time in prayer, but personally, not corporately. But we're gonna open up the front, the altar, and we're gonna sing a song of invitation. I'm gonna invite you to come and meet. Either make your seat a place of invitation where you say, God, right now, I'm not gonna wait till I get home. I know some are like, oh, I'll do when I get home. That's me in text messages. Some of you are like, why does pastor text me like two weeks later? I, you send me a text message while I was driving and I never got back to it. So I'm going to invite you right now in the invitation. You say, you know what? I want to get some things right with God. I want to pray. I want to, I want to ask. Maybe it's this. Maybe just say, you know what? I'm going to pray and ask for the hand of God on my life. You say, hey, I'm going to pray that right now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, please stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's all stand. Gracious Heavenly Father. Father, you are so good. You're doing so many great things. Lord, you want to save people. You want to change lives. You want to build churches. You want to send missionaries. You want to raise up evangelists. You want to raise up pastors and leaders and teachers and disciples. And you want to raise up people.
people that spread the gospel and you want to raise up a nation that has turned from you and you want to turn it back to you because that's what God, that's what you do. And Father, we're believing that you can move in this place. We believe that next week you're going to fill this building. We believe and with expectation we declare that you, God, will get the glory in all that's said and done and that you will bring broken and hurting back to you, that people walk to you. Father, in this midnight hour, hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.